for this. What is nothing? Yeah, that's D. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's Deep Bro. Hi, welcome to That's Deep Bro. I'm your host, Christina Pajitsky. Thank you for downloading. My episode, I gotta turn my headphones up. I gotta hear my beautiful voice more clearly. Uh, thanks for downloading. Big episode for you. I'm so excited to share the lots of thoughts and stuff and things and stuff like that. Uh, but first, some important business. First of all, I am thrilled to announce that Your Mom's House Live, February 12th at the Irvine Improv, has sold out. We are sold out a month in advance, so we've decided to add a second show. Nine o'clock on the 12th of February. Come see us live at Irvine Improv. Tickets are on TomSegura.com, ThousandRanch.com. Get them now because I'm telling you, the show is uh, it's really taken quite a following. We've 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 <laughs> we've ex- we've exploded in the last I don't know year or so and it's going to be chaos there's there's going to be 500 mommies in one room at one time i think like i feel like i should start a dating site for people like uh if you're single and especially because it's so close to valentine's day and i hate valentine's day i think it's just mother's day and valentine's day are the two most manufactured dog shit and father's day holidays ever i mean just really invented for nothing more than to make people feel badly and buy things they don't need and do things they don't want to do with people they don't like so come celebrate your valentine's day with us instead i guess two days prior whatever also what else do i have uh my tour dates uh so i'm filling out here 2015 Oh, for fuck's sake, if I could just open my phone without having to use my, uh, oh God, my thumb. What a, my life is so hard, you guys. Okay. Uh, Tour dates, February 17th. I'm doing two local shows. February 17th, the Hollywood Improv, 8 p.m. I'm headlining. And then February 18th, the next night at Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank headlining. So if you guys want to see me do a long set, that would be great if you could come out. To either of those shows, ticket links are on my website, thousandranch.com. April 13th through 15th, I'm at Brea at the Brea Improv. May 4th and 5th, Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live. May 19th and 20th, New York City Gotham Comedy Club. June 16th and 17th, Man Friend Disco at the Punchline. And we did a pre-sale on those tickets and they sold like bananas. So if you want to see any of these shows, I kind of recommend getting your tickets sooner rather than later. Uh, because they do go, they go, they go. Also, what else? Oh, uh, no, I'll announce that. I'll, I'll do that later. Uh, it's a big, it's a big one. So I'm going to save it for after this, you know, until we get into the meat of the show. Okay, let's go. Let's go. I've had this ridiculous tune in my head. I always have, I always have this, um, Richard Hell in my head. This one's so dumb. Okay, here we go. Are you ready for the sex girls? The hot, hot, lead, hot, big, hot girls. Are you ready for the sex girls? The right, right, ultra vital, nice, nice girls. They play pool in your house and take off their own clothes. They can talk about love cause they know where it goes. They are women without any. Gleaming in the morning light 
Mm. That song makes me laugh because in the background you can hear a girl going, <laughs> just laughing like a jackass. What a what a beautiful song. Uh, that was in Revenge of the Nerds, my favorite movie of all time. If you've listened to the show regularly, uh, you know my love for Revenge of the Nerds. One of the most uh, perfect. Perfect comedies, I'd say perfect movies of all time, has my favorite comedic character, uh, Booger Presley, who I listened to an interview he gave, and he said that he was not a gross person, is not a gross person, had a really hard time playing Booger, which is even better, because he was so good at it, just so funny, so politically incorrect, um, you know, and great themes, too. They, they made fun of everybody. They made fun of, of uh, white people, black people, gay people. Uh, short people, big titted people. <laughs> so good. Uh, okay. So some of you have asked me to do um, a playlist. Is that what the kids are calling this? A playlist where I put all the music that I played on this show onto some kind of public list and you guys can listen to it. So um, I put it on Spotify and uh, my account is Your Mom's Podcast. So search for Your Mom's Podcast. I guess we opened one like a million years ago and never put anything on there. And uh, I just, I'm too lazy to figure out how to open up another account. So it's called TDB Ultimate Bro Jams. And um, all the jams are on there. Uh, the account is Your Mom's Your Mom's Podcast, Your Mom's Podcast. So check out all the ridiculous songs I play on the show. There you go. So uh, interesting day for me. As I record this, it's Monday, and it's usually the day that Tom and I record your mom's house, but uh, it's different because he and Bert Chrysler, Bert Chrysler, um, a.k.a. Bert is fat, they're on a plane to Manfred Disco right now to go to a, some sporting event. That's how little I know about sports. You guys know I'm a huge fan of um, of any organized sports uh, football, love it. Basketball, love it, love it, love it. I love it. Um, they're on a plane. They're going to watch some event, and then Tom's going to come back tomorrow. So I have the day off, essentially, which uh, I don't think I've had a day off in um, a long time, <laughs> maybe like a year, like truly a day where I I have the nanny because we usually book her so that we can work all day, and uh, I, I don't have to take care of my kid today, which is crazy. I don't have to do anything and, and the banks are all closed and everything's closed because of MLK day. And, um, I'm forced to do nothing. I am forced to do this show, which to me is not work at all. It's an absolute pleasure. But, uh, after I'm recording, I'm just, I'm after I'm done recording, I'm just gonna, I'm going to sit and I'm going to think and, um, and I'm going to sit maybe in some sunlight. I haven't done that in a while. Uh, sun my feathers a little. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe go to In and Out and order a protein burger. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of a crazy day for me. <laughs> I'm a little. I'm just kind of an alone mommy, but alone but not lonely. <laughs> me and the dogs. I'm sorry. Did I just say me and the dogs? Did you hear that? Especially after I railed against people saying that the dogs and I, the dogs and I. Dogs and me are hanging out. Nope. The dogs and I. The dogs and I will do nothing today. There you go. That's grammatically perfect. Do you see how I fell into popular culture grammar? And God damn it, I'm telling you, impactful is not a fucking word. It's not, it's not a word. It was, it's an invented word, which, yes, all words, I guess, are invented. But impactful was one of those insidious <clears throat> corporate... Uh, douchebag words that you would get in emails. Same thing like circle back, uh, put a pin in it. If anybody says to put a pin in it, I want to fucking put a pin in their eyes. That's the stupidest. I, I just hate all this corporate speak. And impactful, however, is one of those words uh, of corporate speak, which makes me want to blow my brains out. So I'm here, I'm doing nothing in it. And I really enjoy doing nothing. Um, and it got me to thinking about, I, I, you know me, I love motivational speakers. God damn it, if I don't love me, some Tony Robbins, Abraham Hicks, you got it, some woman channeling a dead guy, telling me how to live my life 
I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, who else do I love? Louise Hay, huge fan of, of any positivity, positive energy. Um, hold on, I gotta make a note. And I also love a gentleman by the name of Gary Vaynerchuk, V-A-Y-N-E-R-C-H-U-C-K. He goes by Gary V, V-E-E. And Gary Vaynerchuk wrote, he's written a few great books, one of which is, I believe, called Crush It, and I read it like a million years ago. And Gary V is one of the, the forefathers, the the early adapters of the online world. Like this dude, his parents, first of all, I think he's Russian born. Um, and you know me, I fucking, anybody that's like immigrant or at a disadvantage, like, Oh God, I just, (sighs) my penis gets erect when I, I hear about people who come from hard knocks. I just love that shit. So Gary V Russian born parents, immigrant, I think moves to New York, lives in like a one bedroom apartment with his family, but the parents own a wine shop and the internet comes along and young Gary Vaynerchuk says, why don't we put this stuff online? Why are you guys not selling all over the world? Cause now you can. And he created wine.com. And not only that, which in itself is, you know, Hey, that's pretty revolutionary because nobody was selling alcohol online back when he was doing it. But secondly, he created this branding to go with it. You know, that whole, I mean, listen, whenever somebody says you're a personal brand, what's your brand? I just want to vomit all over myself because it's just, it's gross. You know, like what's a, Christina, what's your brand? Like, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm a person just trying to communicate with other people (laughs) in a, a meaningful way. I don't fucking, what's the brand? So, but he did kind of uh, come up with this thing of, of branding. And what he did was he would go on YouTube and he became like the wine guy, like the wine expert. And he would teach essentially about wine. And then, you know, in, in so providing the content of that, it drove traffic to wine.com and he sold a bunch and he became a millionaire and he invested in, invested in many other internet apps. And I follow him on Instagram Oh, P.S. Another great Instagram uh, account I found is called Idiots Doing Things. Idiots Doing Things. Check it out. That one's really good on Instagram. But uh, Gary V, I follow him as I do all my self-help gurus because I, I love positivity on the internet. There's enough in- negative stuff. There, there's enough um, uh, putting down people uh, and and shitting on the president. Oh God. Um, or as Dan Savage calls him orange Julius Caesar, (laughs) which is fantastic. Uh, so I like positivity, man, you know, um, now Gary V is a social media machine. He's always on, he's always working. There's always people recording him. He's constantly, uh, Snapchatting. He's constantly putting out content, little, little positive sayings over a picture, that whole thing. And what I noticed about him and I watch him and I enjoy him immensely is there's this idea of the never ending hustle. And he really is a huge proponent of just all the time, 24 seven, I'm fucking hustling. I remember he posted something on Christmas, (laughs) right? Christmas Eve. I'm in my jet. I'm flying to make a deal. Like, first of all, who the fuck is doing a deal on Christmas Eve? Why? Secondly, you have a family of two kids and a wife. And I know that because he talks about it. Like, oh, I'm going to enjoy your fucking family, bro. And, and I, I don't say this as a criticism of like his success. Or I love successful people. I love learning from, from people that are doing it uh, better than I am. Right? Because what, is, uh, what do we know from Dan Pena? Oh, fuck. Where, what do we know? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Right. Right. You follow the winners, not the losers. You take the, what the winners are doing and you copy it. So, But one thing I don't necessarily agree with, and I don't know when this happened in, a, in American capitalism, maybe the 80s during the greedy Reagan era, is this idea of a 24-hour work cycle. And the idea that we should be constantly hustling, constantly moving, 
uh, it's Christmas Day. I, I'm working. My baby is being born. My wife's in labor, but I'm still at the office. Like, really? Why? Really? Why? Why? Because you've got, you finally got the money. You've got the millions of dollars. You've got the followers on Instagram or Twitter, whatever it is. You've got the, you've got everything. Why not enjoy it? Why not enjoy it? Because the 24 seven hustle doesn't mean shit. If uh, you're, you're not enjoying it or you're running yourself into the ground. Uh, Cause I love Gary V, but doesn't look so good. He's got sort of a gray pallor, grayish skin, sunken eyes. And hey, I'm not a, 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 a paragon of, of health. Uh, I don't look amazing all the time. I have dark circles under my eyes. I've got the Eastern block, uh, you know, permanent scowl on my face that now I have a wrinkle so deep. Jesus Christ. I've been scowling my entire life. You know, I get it. But the fact is this American ideal of work, 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 work until you fucking die. My least favorite saying is I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, motherfucker, you're going to be dead if you don't sleep. You're going to die sooner. <laughs> Work hard, play hard. Like, I don't. That stuff makes my asshole twitch so hard. Because nothing in nature, nothing in nature works by burning itself out. What I mean is, if you watch how things work around you, the flowers, the ocean, the animals, the trees, the sky, the planets, nothing works quickly. Nothing is fast. And when it does happen fast, it's because it's destroying something because it's a hurricane that's going to come through and wipe things out. When nature acts quickly, it's usually to destroy like a volcano or maybe it's an emergency, right? Like primitive man. Most of us don't run everywhere all the time. Cheetahs don't run everywhere. They do it occasionally when they have to sprint to avoid being killed. There's my dog barking. Thank you, schnitzel. But nothing in nature is meant to go 24-7 hard fucking core. You can't run at that pace because you will burn yourself out. Your system can't take it. And I'm here to just kind of push up against the idea of the 24-7 hustle. And I think there's a time and a place to hustle. I'm not saying that you shouldn't because God knows I spent my 20s and 30s doing that shit. And I, yes, I'm in a position, I'm now 40 and I, I've done a lot of the shit that I want to do and I feel okay about myself. Maybe that's why, because I did burn it out when I was younger. But motherfucker, you know what I'm saying? When you've got the stacks, you got the plane, you got the family, it's time to just gear back. Just enjoy your life. Enjoy it. Enjoy it because it ain't going to last forever. God knows it just ain't going to last forever. Which brings me to my second point. I was thinking a lot the last few weeks I've, um, I've had sort of a breakthrough, um, and with my shrink and part of it has to do with the self-help movement, believe it or not. Um, where should I start? Okay. Let's start there. Uh, I, like I've been saying, I'm a huge, I love self-help. I love it. It's helped me. All these books that I've read, um, all these authors, these Hay House authors, uh, Wayne Dyer, love Wayne Dyer, love Tony Robbins, love these people. It's great. It's great. But along with the 24-7 hustle and comes, the, comes this idea of always happy, always positive. You got to stay positive. You got to stay focused. You got to say, you must be positive energy all the time. You can't feel sad. If you feel sad, then you're not going to get what you want out of life. And you can't ever have a bad day because if you have a bad day, they're going to sabotage your goal and you got to stay focused. (laughs) And that's really exhausting to be, to be happy all the time and to be positive all the time. And not only that, it's kind of fucking impossible because you're a human. And what comes with being a human being is you have good days and you have bad days and you have days where you're not feeling it. And you have days where you're moody, you're emotional and yeah, you have negative feelings. And I don't know. um, I think that might be the flaw. One of the flaws of the self-help movement is this idea that 
you should never be sad, that you should always be positive. And which leads me to my thought of why that's a little harmful because of a thing called ambivalence. What's that? Exactly. It's a word that I didn't really understand until my shrink explained it to me. And I had ambivalence when I became pregnant with Ellis for really the first time. I had ambivalence when I got married because I had never committed to another human being before and merged bank accounts and merged lives together. And I'm ambivalence means to have two contrary states of feelings simultaneously to be able to be annoyed with somebody to the point where you want to fucking bludgeon and bludgeon their head, um, but also love them and be able to carry these two feelings at the same time and not have it completely freak you the fuck out. Now I spoke a little bit about this in relation to Carl Jung a few weeks back, um, about his ability to hold negative and positive emotion at the same time. He was really great, apparently. I don't know the guy, but from what I've read, really great at being able to have anxiety, depression, uh, weird thoughts, guilt, shame, simultaneously while, while feeling pretty good about himself and carrying on with his day and being able to be a successful psychotherapist or whatever. Is that his title? I don't fucking know. Which, anyways, um, I've been thinking a lot about this ambivalence because um, when I became a parent, that that was really when it was so hard for me to be able to see over the hard parts of being a mom. In the beginning, like, Jesus Christ, I, I struggled a lot with Ellis, with not not loving him. I mean, I don't, I don't people always assume that I mean that I didn't love him and that's just not the case. I had profound crippling um overwhelming love for my child the minute he came out of me. The minute he came out of me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the skill of mothering which I had no template for and which was very overwhelming to me and and for me very overwhelming because I had not learned from my parents to deal with ambivalence. And I see this trait in, um, in other people really easily because I had it a lot growing up. I had it a lot in my twenties and thirties. And I'm really honestly kind of just learning to deal with it now. Like I'm really, really getting it now. I think I understood it. Um, I understood it in theory, but in practice now I'm really understanding that because as you know, with children, they kind of, they do test your, that's why it's so hard to have kids, by the way. It's, it's when people are like, it's so hard. You're like, what are you talking about? You're just fucking changing diapers. But it's not really that. It's because it's a mirror. It holds up a mirror to all your bullshit. Yeah. It holds up a mirror to your issues, to your, the way you were parented. Um, yeah, basically to all the mistakes you can potentially make, have made, will make. <laughs> fantastic. So it's not really about Ellis. This is nothing about him. This is all me. This is all my uh, drama around creating a person. Um, so yes, I see this trait in others because I have it in me and ambivalence, ambivalence, tolerating ambivalence, good and bad at the same time and a feeling of someone of some situation. Um, in my twenties, if I didn't like a job, I would quit. Not only that, I would burn the building down and then I would burn the bridge leading to the building and then I'd give the finger to everybody and then, you know, I was pretty fucking rash. And same with relationships. I didn't want you as a friend anymore. Great, you're out. (laughs) Done. Done with you. Off with your head. Gone. Next. And that's very impulsive. It's very destructive and also doesn't work if you haven't noticed. If you've done this in your life, you know that um, impulsivity, <laughs> not great, not good, not good for a life. That's why, like I say, in nature, everything kind of runs a slower course. Things evolve over time. Nothing is perfect. Uh, there's, there's grayness. It's not black and white. And, um, I think it was that show below deck I mentioned a few weeks ago. There's this wonderful English guy on the boat and C- Sierra, is the girl that he has a crush on and Sierra's kind of not really straightforward with him and goes out on a date with him. 
and is, is rude to him and ignores him. Um, and of course he's upset, which he should be, because that's kind of a crummy thing to do to a dude to let him buy, you know, take you out on a date, spend his money on you, and you have no interest whatsoever. And you knew you didn't before you went on the date. Kind of shitty. Kind of shitty. But the point being, he was so mad at her that he completely just, you know, gone, done, 86 or out of my life. You're done. You're dead to me. You're dead to me. And which isn't, yeah, of course you should be like, all right, that girl's out of here. But the level to which he did it, I looked at that and I was like, oh, I've done that. that I get that. Yep. And I know what that is. I know what that is because I've had that done to me. And by that, I mean, little children, toddlers, babies, whatever, go through developmental stages Stages. God, did I just fucking upspeak? Uh, and one of these stages is the stage of, I hate you, mommy, daddy. No, I don't want to do that. Crying, defiant, all this shit, right? Normal, 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 normal stuff. Now, your parents, if they're in a good place, if they, are, if they were given the gift of being taught ambivalence, if they were listened to, if they, if their feelings were mirrored and honored, um, and if they were cherished as small, small children, and if they were made to feel that they were the center of the world, which little tiny children are, and eventually they learn that they're not through the process of, you know, growth. (laughs) Um, but if they weren't given these things, these gifts, then you have parents who won't tolerate your feelings of hatred towards them. So a little kid when the little kid goes, I hate you, mom. I hate you, dad. I hate you. You're the fucking worse. You're supposed to go, I know, but I love you anyways, or whatever it is that you're supposed to say. I'll figure it out because Ellis hasn't told me he hates me just yet, but it's there. Just the, the crying, the defi- it's already starting. Like it's just, he's not into certain things and I don't take it personally because of this thing. I know he has to learn. So eventually a kid will throw this negative shit at you as a parent and you're supposed to just still love him anyways or her, whatever. And then they learn, oh, mommy's not bad all the time. Wait a minute. Does this mean that I can hate somebody and profoundly love this person at the same time? Well, yes, it does. And then that person grows up and relationships are a little bit easier for them because they hold this idea of ambivalence. And yeah. It's a really big deal. I feel like this is such a huge lesson for me Um, because the opposite of that too is idealization. So like, let's say you get into a relationship and you, um, you don't want to lose this person. So you don't see all sides to them and you idealize them. And that's another offshoot. There's codependency where people don't ask for their needs. Mm, There's all kinds of great things that come out of the inability to maintain ambivalence. So, um, also in relation to, I was reading this book called the mommy myth, which is really interesting. Susan Douglas is the author and the mommy myth traces back in popular culture. Um, the idea that women should be positively thrilled all the time. Every moment of the day is ecstatic because they're mothers. And I remember before I was pregnant, um, reading the covers of magazines as I was checking out of grocery stores. And it, you know, it would say things like Kim Kardashian, baby bliss. And it was like, wait, what? I, that's the first time I'd heard baby bliss. Like, uh, this fulfilling this biological function somehow makes you washed over in absolute joy you're finally complete as a woman. You've achieved the pinnacle of femininity by squeezing a person out of your vagina. And now your boobs are soggy and mushy and purple. But that's another side to all of this. But that's somehow being a mom. A mom. By the way, this book points out that we used to call them mothers. <laughs> In the 70s, we had mothers. In the 80s, mothers. 90s became mom. Because mom is friendlier, docile. Mom is loving and cuddly and cute. So what happened was in the 70s, we had mothers. In the 60s, they were mothers. Unfortunately, forced to stay home, a lot of them, because of society and a lack of economic choice. Women couldn't have separate bank accounts from their husbands in the 1950s. Believe that. And I believe in the 60s even. 
So it wasn't until the 70s, the women's liberation came around that uh, women went to work and left their youngins at home or left their youngins in daycare, God forbid. And, um, and the media kind of ran with it because look, I, I don't blame them. I'm not, this is not accusatory. It just is in the business of selling stories. And they kind of prayed into the fear of a lot of mothers, people in general. Um, and so, and then came all these things of like the McMartin preschool molestations. If you grew up in the eighties, I remember watching that crap on TV. There was a preschool that, you know, they were molesting kids, but then it later came out that a lot of the children's testimonies were forced and that the, uh, I think the person abusing these children was mentally ill, was schizophrenic or some shit. I don't remember. I'm sure, yes, it did happen, but I, I remember, I know in this book it says the extent to which it was blown up was, you know, ridiculous that a lot of the things didn't happen that the media were saying. Um, and then came the celebrity profiles, right? The celebrity moms, which is like what's happening now. And it started with, um, what's her name? Debbie Boone. Fuck. Um, anyways, one of these eighties people, it starts with Kirstie Alley. That's who they cite in this book who it's the celebrity mom who's got a nanny, a trainer, um, you know, five assistants and they're interviewing her and she's like, Oh my God, I decoupaged his high chair. Oh my God, it's so hard furnishing all my rooms, my home. And, you know, the illusion that motherhood is clean, perfect, shiny, that you should be sexy and great at it and thrilled all the time. Now, the reason this stuff happened or the reason it came and the reason it exists, basically this bullshit mom culture is because it's a fantasy. It makes celebrities look more relatable if they can use their kids as vehicles of normalcy, right? Like, okay, I follow Kim Kardashian on Instagram and, you know, she posts pictures of her and her children and Kanye and this and that. And I, I think part of it is to make her appear more normal to us so that, so that we go, oh yes, look at, you're just like us. You are just like, no, you're not. And she's not, she really, they're so famous. There's no way, there's no way that they're like us. Um, and basically what happened was celebrities pimped their kids to sell magazines, to get the next project, whatever. And, and then it made the rest of us feel inferior and feel like shit. That's the the byproduct that the intent wasn't to make you feel bad. The intent was look at these working moms, look how they can do it all. And the reality is, um, nobody does it all, all the time. Nobody uh, can. It's physically impossible and it's a stupid goal. What you do is I think you just get by the best you can and you pick your battles. There's only so many hours in the day and you know, you do the best with what you're given. But, uh, I just think this whole thing of, um, oh, and the point being ambivalence that there's no ambivalence in motherhood right now. Culturally, you can't even say, like, oh, it's hard being a mom. It, you can't even say it without being uh, looked at as as a bad mother or someone who doesn't love their children enough, or blah, 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 which I, I don't get it. I really don't get it, man. I don't know. Why can't you just say it? Like, I, I don't always love... I'm not always thrilled when I have to wake up at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> Am I thrilled when I see him? Yeah, because my kid's awesome. It's the only thing that makes waking up at the crack of dawn bearable is to see his cute little face smiling in a crib at me. That's it. But do I enjoy waking up at 5.30? Go fuck no. Fucking get your life. So there you go. Hard work sucks. We've got that. (laughs) Okay. Why don't we get to some emails? Because a a few came in that I really wanted to address. Um this week. Hold on. Let's start with this one from my beloved kombucha. Yes, here we go. Okay. So this person would like to be referred to as kombucha, which is hilarious. I guess they were walking around Whole Foods when they thought about sending an email. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Um, I'm in my mid twenties and lately I've been dealing with thoughts of how do I live my life? I'm a full-time student 
on the last few days of my winter break, I notice that every time I end up on a break, all this fear of what am I going to do with that time floods into me. My school is very demanding and I study every day that I feel like I completely lost how to have a life of my own. I don't know how to just live for myself and enjoy it. I don't know how to do nothing and be okay. I'm fortunate to have planned a few trips on my vacation, but once I come back home, the feeling returns. I think of all the things I can do and overwhelm myself and I disassociate. Sometimes I try and attempt something to do, but then the feelings creep in. I'm in my car with self-doubt and urges to cry. How can I be alone, entertain myself, not feel the need to hang out or to go out, not feel the need to want company? I'm trying not to add, I'm trying not to add a lot of details to keep it short. Okay. Much love, kombucha. Mm. Mm. Well, first of all, my love, I don't think there's a human being alive that hasn't felt the exact same way. (laughs) Uh, And I believe this is called the human condition (laughs) or part of it or part of it. I mean, there's a lot going on here in this email, right? There's one of the idea of working 24-7, which we covered in the top half of this show. I should be productive all the time. And that's happening. You're kind of burning it out, right? It sounds like you're very, very busy. You're keeping yourself busy. Because that is a choice too, by the way. The extent to which we fill our calendars, it is a choice. You're burning it out. And then all of a sudden, there's the break. What do I do? Oh my God, I can't be alone. God forbid, right? I think I had the same panic. Okay, so so first of all, don't panic. First of all, know that uh, you're only in your mid-20s. And I don't think you know how to be alone, really, until you're a little bit older. Because it is a learned skill. It's learned. You have to learn how to be alone. And if you had great parents that fostered your developmental stages, being alone wouldn't be a big deal. By that, I mean, my kid is one, he's learning to be alone and he learns to be alone in the presence of other people. That's why little kids, when they're playing, look up to check to see if you're there, to see if mom and dad are there, whoever the caregiver is there, because they're learning to be alone and they want to do it in a safe way. My guess is somehow in your development, maybe that got wonky. That could be it. Um, But yeah, just so you know, not totally rare in your 20s to not want to be alone. Why? Because you've grown up in a family up until you were 18. And then one day at the age of 18, you're thrown out and you're thrown into college and you're expected to just do it, right? Like, well, just grow up, kid. And it's tough. It takes a few years. And so what what most kids do at that age, they make a group of friends, right? Maybe you join a sorority, a fraternity, and... um, And you create a surrogate family and that's how you get through your 20s is this like friend family. So it's not like you're this complete freak show. So don't worry. It's kind of normal. Now, why can't you deal with being alone? Dude, that's like, like I said, most of human beings, a lot of people have a hard time being alone and being at peace, mostly because most of us are afraid of the shit that's going to come up. If we're not talking to somebody, if we're not being occupied constantly, the panic is if I'm not doing something, if I'm not being productive, A, I'm going to fall behind, right? Because, because I'm not doing something. And if I'm doing something, then everything's going to fall apart because maybe you have control issues. And if I control everything all the time, if I'm watching everything all the time, then everything's going to be okay. Nothing bad will ever happen. Uh, or B... I had some fucking thing happen to me, some trauma, some unresolved shit. And the thought of being alone unconsciously terrifies me because maybe I'll have to think about that thing that happened back then. I don't want to think about that thing that happened back then. Or maybe it's a bunch of stuff that you don't want to think about. And that's why the thought of being alone and not being occupied is so scary. And like, again, it's totally normal. I know many people who can't sit in a car without music playing or without some distractor. And I catch myself doing it. Why do I have to have the radio on constantly? Why do I have to have a podcast? Why, 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 why? Why can't I just shut the fuck up and drive and just shut the fuck up and just enjoy whatever thoughts I'm having? Now, I usually catch myself when I get hysterical like that and I'll go, oh, something's up. I don't want to be quiet. I don't want to be still. 
And then I bring it up to my shrink. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, yeah, I do think, number one, therapy, 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 therapy. I say it every episode because I'm not a licensed therapist. The only thing I can offer you is my experience in my life. I am not qualified uh, in any way, shape, or form to change anybody's life with advice. Never. And I just answer these emails because I, I think this is very existential, and I don't know why... Everybody isn't talking about this stuff 24-7. To me, this is the only fucking thing that really matters. <laughs> I, you know? <clears throat> and I, it makes me crazy that, y- you know, you can't just turn to a friend and be like, hey, do you ever feel that darkness? <laughs> do you ever get that terrified feeling of not doing something? Is the, is the loneliness crippling? <laughs> uh, you can't. And I, that's so silly that you can't. But... um Mm. Yeah, I understand. You're alone and um, you feel uneasy and sad. So, uh, hold on. We corresponded a little bit, and um, I do think you need to see somebody and and talk to somebody professional. Obviously, I mean the only uh, comfort I can, the only thing I can say is to really think about why this might be. You know. What is it? Is it, a, is it an incident that happened that you haven't processed? Because it isn't the things that happen to us in life that um, fuck us up. It's how we process them. Because everything happens to everybody, you know? There's no stopping life. There's no stopping traumas or whatever the fuck from occurring. It's how you kind of move forward from them. But kombucha, I hope that helps you. Please see somebody. And in the meantime, if you don't want to be alone then reach out and make plans with people until you're ready to be alone, until you're ready to face things. And uh, I think a lot of us do have a hard time reaching out and and like saying, hey, I don't want to be alone. I want to go have lunch with so-and-so. I want to go, I want to be social. Um, yeah, I don't know why that is. I think some of us, I, I, I have a long history of it, of preferring to isolate uh, over making plans, but I've since fixed that because <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't work. Isolating is not good because then you get further down the rabbit hole. So reach out, hang out with anybody, uh, who you like being with. Don't hang out with losers, right? Don't hang out with duds, people that, that, um, negate your feelings and shit like that. Find good people. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Hey, me, mommy, Jean. Thank you. I'm a single 33-year-old guy, 33-year-old guy. I own my own home. I'm not going to say where you live. I have a good job. I do CrossFit regularly um, and a huge lover of that seed bro. Thank you. Although not formally educated, I'm very interested in philosophy, Joseph Campbell being my current favorite. Me too. I like Joseph Campbell. I grew up with a mother who loved me very much, a half-sister who had her own dad, And for a few years, the biggest POS of a stepdad ever. Never knew my biological dad. He left when I was three months old. Jesus. My sister's dad took me in for a handful of years, but as soon as he and my mother got divorced, I was non-existent. The whole point of this email is that I'm so many levels, in so many levels, I have my shit together. But for fuck's sake, when it comes to women, it's complete chaos. I seem to have this problem where I find a girl, get close, then panic because I feel like I can do better, so I bolt. Obviously, there's a lot more to it, and I won't bore you with a million-word email, but do you think this is what happens when males have daddy issues? What are male daddy issues? It sucks because my love life is the only aspect of my life that I can't even somewhat get together. Okay. Any insight you have would be wonderful. Okay. Okay. Okay, jeans. Okay. So, um, again, I'm not a licensed anything. So this is just my speculation (laughs) and I hope I'm somewhat right. Uh, so look, I, I'll tell you as somebody who, I have, I have somebody in my family hmm, that has this very sort of pattern. And from what I know, uh, this is what Patty Stanger calls the BBD, the bigger, better deal, Right. Um, the guy that's not content with what he's got, he's got to go on to the bigger, better deal. And I don't know, there's a quite a few reasons for this. Um, number one could be the NRE <laughs> new relationship energy. 
and new relationships are exciting. There's passion, there's heat, there's newness, there's adoration, there's fluid bonding with Jesse. There's all these wonderful components to new relationships. And I don't know, are you addicted to the newness? Is it the excitement? Because then, you know, what happens is in a relationship is that newness, as normal as that is, eventually fades and settles into what should be a very trusting, loving, secure, yet joyful and consistent relationship. And for a lot of people, that's really terrifying. It's terrifying because now it means you can't bullshit your way anymore and that someone's going to call you out on your stuff. Um, And a lot of people can't handle it. And I don't know if that's a male thing. I mean, the person in my life is a dude uh, who does this. I'm not going to say it's my dad, but it might be. I don't know. So, uh, but the I know the reason he does that is, uh, look, I think you grew up with uh, not a dad with, and then a f- coupled with a, a few piss poor examples of what a father is. And we learn about relationships through modeling, through watching mommy and daddy, how they interact. So essentially you as a little boy learned how to be a man by watching the men in your life. And you watched how men treated women. And that's how you theoretically grow up and treat the women in your life, right? The way that you were modeled, the way that, that, sorry, the way that was modeled for you. So it sounds like you've had a few fucking losers come and go. Number one being your dad who bolted on you. And that might be the shitty example that you unconsciously might be pulling from. I don't know. It could be that. I, again, I don't have enough details to really get into it. Here's some other ones. Is mommy overbearing? Um, sometimes dudes who have um, overbearing mothers, maybe I've noticed that Uh, moms that are smothering don't really learn how to be intimate with women because the first relationship they had with a woman was completely overbearing and horrible and intimacy is terrifying for them because it's really at the end of the day, it's an intimacy issue and a daddy issue. Maybe, um, it's the inability to kind of have ambivalence, right? What we were talking about in the beginning, the idea that there might be something not 100% perfect about this person, but there's enough that is rad about this person to overshadow what's not rad about this person. So your inability to have ambivalence leads me to believe that there's something, you know, early on where you weren't taught that, you weren't modeled that, and now you're, as an adult, doing uh, that. Because, by the way, people that don't uh, don't have ambivalence they're actually a lot of times they can be really high achievers in other areas. And it sounds like you got your life together. You got your entire life, get your life on all these other areas because these are areas you can control. You do CrossFit. That's fucking gnarly, bro. Like CrossFit is, you know, essentially what like Navy SEAL training. So you're very disciplined and that you can control. You have a great job, uh, You've got your own home. So you've got like these things down that you can control. And it sounds to me like relationships maybe are an area that you can't control because you can't control other people and it's fucking terrifying. Now, other, other things that might be going on here, I don't know. I don't know you and I don't mean to presume and I hope you don't take this in a wrong way, but I, it could be, are you gay? Do you like other dudes? Maybe... You know, I've known a lot of gay men who blow through chicks before they're finally like, oh, shit, you know what? Um, yeah, actually, I don't really like girls at all. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Could be a little bit of that. But it doesn't sound... You've not mentioned that that's the thing for you. So um, to me, it, it might be daddy issues. And what are male daddy issues? I mean, shit. That one, I'm sorry. I can't. I cannot answer too much. I don't know. Um I don't know. I got to look that one up. I'll look into that one for you. Sorry, dude. I should have looked that up uh, before I opened this microphone, but fascinating. You know what? I'm going to talk to some dudes and I'm going to get into male daddy issues because I think that's fascinating. That's so important, man. You got to have the same sex parent around to model. If not a parent, then somebody, 
somebody close around, right? That's how you learn how to be a man or a woman. Ugh, boy, it's messy. It's fucking messy, isn't it? All right. There you go, guys. Those are my, I'm going to just take those two. <clears throat> Email me at that's deep bro podcast at gmail.com. That's deep bro podcast at gmail.com. I'm considering putting this on YouTube. Let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. Do you want to watch this? I don't know. I feel, I feel like it's fucking very boring for me. I'm just talking to a microphone, talking to this microphone uh, in a dark room with my dogs, but I don't know. Maybe. Also, check out my playlist, um, your mom's, make sure I have this right. I think it's your mom's podcast. We called it, oh, my phone died. Anyway, I said at the top of the show, I hope that's enough. Come see Tommy and I do our show live, your mom's house, February 12th. We've added the nine o'clock show. Come see me do stand up. Go to thousandranch.com for tickets to all my stand up stuff. Oh, Amazon. Also, uh, we've just come about Amazon UK now. So do your shopping, your mom's house podcast.com, Amazon, click on the link, blah, 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 blah. All right, guys, I hope this has helped. Have a wonderful week and um, geez, yeah, stay good and get your life, guys. Get your entire life. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with philosophize with It's Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.